but not for a moment.
the answer is given to three questions, basically in 31 verses. As the Bible lays it out, 31 verses. I'm just using this as a contrast. The answer to the when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming? The Lord gave his disciples and a pretty sketchy overview, actually. I don't mean that word sketchy to be anything other than he didn't fill in a lot of details. He gave the answer to those questions of his disciples in what we have is 31 verses. And so the chapter ends at 51, so that's 20 more verses. The next chapter is totally taken at 46 verses of more, listen, he answered the question in 31 verses and took 20 and 46, 66 verses to talk about how we should be prepared for when these things do happen. Not so much about what's going to happen. He said, there will be wars and rumors of wars and the world's going to get ugly. And if you're a Christian, and we know from studying now, in retrospect, something they didn't know. We know a lot of things they didn't know. But what we do know is the answer was given in near and far prophecies. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and it will be destroyed again. People surrounded the temple and killed people who were in the way, meaning in the way of Christ, Christians, we call them today, and it will happen again. It is happening all over the world. To be a Christian in this world, in most places, is a very dangerous proposition. In America, oh, there's a group that wants it to be. If they can just get that, that hold on there. Can I tell you this about Christ that you should be very grateful for? We've come to the place we're at now several times in our history. The Lord thwarted every plan. At the last moment, in the fullness of time, I would say, as the Bible said, he just said, no, you're not doing that. There have been some ugly places in this world in history. To be Jewish has been very difficult through the years. To be a Christian has been difficult. For most places, we don't understand it. We don't understand. I'm grateful, honestly, but we should have compassion for it. We don't understand it. We do not understand. The Lord has been very gracious to us. I would say, I would say because of our beginnings as a nation. Amen, brother. The Lord has blessed us the grandchildren. But you know what? The grandchildren have rebelled and I think the, the blessing has come to it. And it's, it's our call now to repent or not. I believe that. The, the uh, third and fourth generations the Lord blesses were there and we're at a turning point in our nation. I believe this where if we don't repent, if we don't repent, if we live in this material world and it's all about me much longer, there's going to be some things to pay. I, I believe we have the option right now Right now, we have the option as a world to stop it or to fire it up. That's my opinion. Jesus answered those questions of the disciples in very short order. He named, he named catastrophes and wars and ugliness and the darkness of the world that's going to come on in sequential order and said, know this, it will happen. He said, it must happen, by the way. But he said that in 31 verses. And the next 66, he said, and this is what I want to talk about, how you and I should be behaving in the meantime. 
When's dad coming home? I don't know. When's dad coming home? I don't know. But you know what? The kids behave better if they don't know when he's coming. When's the Lord returning? He said, I'm not going to tell you. You know what he said? For what it's worth? I don't know either. The Lord said, I don't know. The hour of the day, I don't even know. But I know how it's going to happen. He said, the Father only knows the hour of the day. That's interesting. Here's what I want to start with this morning. I want to back into it. I always back into my messages, and I'm sure you recognize that. But here's what Jesus said. When Jesus came, and I believe this to be some of the most telling teaching in Scripture. The first thing Jesus said when he, when he entered a situation. The first thing Jesus said when he entered a situation. The first thing he said when he entered the world, the ministry was, Repent ye. Well, the kingdom is at hand. That's the first thing that recorded out of his mouth. The first sermon was the Beatitudes. The first sermon was the Beatitudes. But listen, I want, I want, this is where I'm taking you today. This is where I want to go with you today. And uh, I think it's very uh, telling. I think it's an understanding of things that would help people if they understood and were taught this as children. I was not. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus came, and the first thing he did was call his disciples. Listen to what he said. Folks, listen. You think I'm teaching you some bogus stuff? You think I'm teaching you things that I'm just making up? And Here's the first thing that he said. Peter and Andrew. Come with me. Remember? First thing he said, Peter and Andrew, come with me. James and John. Come with me. And the Bible says, and they forsook their nests and came with him, for they were fishers. They were fishers. You know what he said? I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to take away your job and give you a work to do. The first thing Jesus said to men was repent, turn around, gain a new perspective. Gain a whole new perspective, an idea of what you're here for. Understand the purpose. Whatever you want to read in that, he said this, turn around. Whatever the world has taught you at this point, and whatever yourself, your ego has decided you are to be, turn around. I will make you fishing of men. And it said they forsook all. They dropped, they forsook their nets and followed him. talking about today is the difference between a, a work and a job. The difference between a work and a job. No one told me this when I was younger. That's why I didn't know. <laughs> That's why I, I made all the decisions of all my friends when I was 18 years old and did what everybody else was doing. I didn't know the answers. But I got to tell you what, I didn't, you know, I don't think I knew much of the question either. I wasn't sure what the question was. I blame no one. There's no blame to place anywhere except this. I've learned this about the Bible. The deeper you go, the more you teach, the less you're light. The deeper you go, and the more you teach, the less you're light. But here's the good news. I grew up in a house where that doesn't matter. It just simply doesn't matter. I'm not here to be light. And, and people take that so harsh, but... You're not here to be liked, are you? 
Aren't you here to hear the word of God this morning and to gain understanding of the scriptures? And so Jesus said to his first disciples, the first thing he said that his order of business was in this world was to train you a way that you understand I'm taking you, I'm calling you from your job to give you a work. And I want you to understand that as we talk this morning. And so here's what it says. Now, we're going to rapid fire go through 24 of Matthew. They say, in verse 3, they pulled Jesus aside and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? He's talking about the destruction of the temple. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said, uh, in the next several verses, what he said, take heed. Again, the first thing he said when asked these questions of such importance is take heed. Take heed. Pay attention. Watch. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must, must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now listen. Oh, that must be the end of the world. He said, No, these are the beginning of sorrows. This is when it begins, this is the beginning of it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the end of it. These are beginning of sorrows. And they, and they, and shall they deliver you to be afflicted, and shall kill you, shall be hated the nations for my name's sake. This is to Israel, by the way. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. That's what happens, I can guarantee you. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Not uh, salvation, but saved from the trouble. And verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Pretty overall picture. Not much detail, except it's going to get bad. Then it changes. It says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of the house. Neither let him which is in the field turn back and take his clothes. But woe unto them that are with child unto them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then, for then shall great be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor shall ever be. It says in verse 23, If any man shall say unto you, Here is Christ, or there, believe it not, 
For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very men. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they say to you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Well, the reason we know this is Jewish is because Jewish have prophets. Jewish prophets, Christians, teachers. When the Lord talks about, when the Bible talks about false prophets and false Christ, we're talking about false teachers in our day. These things happen going to happen again in a different fashion. These are far and near prophecies. And he tells the method now of his second coming. For as a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall his coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That is his answer to the questions. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign? What are the signs? The constellations are going to speak. The sun, the moon, and the stars will give sign to his coming about to come. But listen now. Interesting. And then he said, learn a parable. He, ch he changes from answering this question of the direct evil in the world. He says, now learn a parable. And he gives three. He gives three parables with greater depth and teaching than to the signs of the condition of the world at the time of his coming. And here's what they are. The parable of Israel. The parable of the fig tree. He said when you see a fig tree and it's got leaves on it, leaves are tender, you know it's fruit, it's close. Live with understanding. Live with seeing what is in the world around you and live with understanding in those times. He says in chapter 25, in the first several verses, it talks about the parable of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. And I want to candidly say this out loud today, that I've studied that passage many, many times, and I've, I've read my favorite commentaries on it. And everybody disagrees. These are all virgins. They all have lamps. They all have oil. If the lamp is your witness in the world, your light into the world is your witness, and the oil is the Holy Spirit. And these were five were locked out because their lamps went out and they had no more Holy Spirit. How do you put that together and make, you know what he said? 
you'll go home and leave me. He said, don't you start, don't you start hot. And then start living like the rest of the world and say this. I don't like what the Bible said. Don't you start hot for Christ and taper off and go off and live like the rest of the world and lose your witness in this world. Ten have oil in their lamps and ten let them go out. Slothful Christian living. Now you read that however you want to read that, but whatever happened was when they came to the door of the wedding feast, the fight without the oil in their lamps, the husband said this, I don't know you. Now you can read that in every commentary you get. Everybody has a different opinion, but I want to say this. That's frightening on any level. To live for Christ and fizzle out. To have a witness and say, that old man used to be a deacon in the church. He was there every Sunday. Every time the doors were open, he was serving the church. And look at him now. He sits on his front porch drinking beer. Doesn't take care of himself, the house. Is... What happened? You go to the store and you meet someone that used to be in a church. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying church makes you holy. I'm not saying going to church makes you better than anybody because it certainly does not. But I'm saying this. How do you get enough of this and walk away? How do you get the only answer the world offers to all the questions and all the disease and the heartache and the problems of families and work and money? How do you find the answers to it and someday you're done with that? How does that happen? And so the Lord said, I want you to be like Israel. I want you to know that when these things are happening, I'm very near. He said, I want you to learn diligence. I want you to learn watchfulness. I want you to be ready. I want you not to fall asleep on the job. And whatever that means, and I can't, I'm, I am not in the position to feel like I have the authority on that. Whatever that means, that the five versions showed up with no oil, and he said, you can't come in to the wedding. Whatever that means, let your heart discern it. That's what I say. Be watchful. Don't let your lamp run out of oil. Don't, don't live a life where the Holy Spirit's not in charge of your witness anymore. Do you see what it says? In verse 11 of 25, it says, Afterward also other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say to you, I know you not. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. And then he gives this parable. 14, chapter 25 and verse 14, he says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. His goods, now. His servants, his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. You know the Lord is the dispenser of talents? The Lord is the giver of gifts? And he makes us all very different? I believe 
this and this causes a rift among me and my people who listen to me. God has given everyone gifts. Everyone has at least one gift. I believe that. The Bible teaches it repeatedly. If you are not happy with your gift and you keep and you live your life trying to live someone else's gifts, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to make people miserable. The people who let their oil burn out of their lamps don't like me. And I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. If you had a witness one day in this world and you live for Christ and you showed the world what it was to be grateful for this Christ and some way down the line you started living like the rest of the world, and I say so, you can, you can say what you want about me. I simply don't care. I believe I might stand beside you with the judgment. I believe I might be able to see your judgment or hear your judgment and you might be able to turn to me and say, you knew that and didn't tell me? No, I did tell you. You spit in my face, remember? You slapped at me, you screamed at me and you told me I'm a dog because I brought it up. I'm warning you with everything in me, this is not going to be all fun and games to stand before the Christ and give an account of this world. Here's the great thing of Christians. You'll not lose your salvation. You'll not lose your eternal standing. You will lose rewards. And to look in the eyes of the one who died for you and gave you all the benefit of this life and say, I simply chose to do it my way without you involved. You think it's going to be a fun time to look at the personification of love and life and say, I simply chose not to love in return and I wanted my life to be what I wanted, not what you desired for me. But he says this to us, but because you did not, those people are lost. Because you did not, that's the, that's the work I had for you. That's the harvest field I had for you. Because you would not go into the field, the fruit didn't come in. The harvest was not gathered. Oh, you're, oh, you talk to me that way. How dare you? At the end of my day, I go home and my account's reconciled with Christ, not you. At the end of my day, he said, did you tell them what I told you? I want to say I did. I want to say I did tell them. Do they receive it well? Never ask me that. Do they like you better or less? Are you having struggles with them? You think you don't know the struggles of telling the truth? You think Christ doesn't understand? He gave different amounts of talents to different people and said this, I'm going to come back and see how you use them. Now there are some people that you look at and you just know they're not capable of a whole lot. But God bless them if they're doing what they're meant to do that's all that matters. Amen, brother. When I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, my biggest fight at home was this. I was the seventh of seven boys. I was the fifth of five originally. And I was always the one that got kicked right before the dog. And I want to tell you something. I wanted to be a big boy. I wanted to be one of the big boys. And my dad said, you will be. I watched you eat. You're going to get there. 
I said, I want to be one of the big boys. And he said, you will be. Now, right now, I need you to be a little boy. And my dad had uh, back surgery before he bought a farm. Now, that's not too good. And he was big on uh, clearing the land. And so we cut, I, well, they cut, and I watched from the truck. It get real cold out there, and they said, you better go in there and turn the heater on that truck. You're, you're turning blue. And the other boy said, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, I'm watching them cut the wood, build a fire, and then I'd go out there where the fire was, and I wanted to throw the logs on with the boys. And my dad said, that log weighs more than you do. That's been some time ago. And he said, uh, and he said this, he said, you know what I need you to do? He said, at the end of this day, I'm going to hurt so bad, I, I need to take a bath and go to bed. My back is so bad. I need you to go down there where you're already at. I need you to go down there where you're already at and pick up those little things that would just kill me. He said, I can throw a branch much easier than I can pick up that stick. Will you do that for me? did. I didn't want to. didn't do a very good job, but I did. He said, I need you to do your work, and they do theirs, I'll do mine, and we'll all get it done, go home, have supper. How about that? Do you know that was a pretty good lesson? I believe the Lord called me to preach the gospel. You can't talk me out of it. You may not believe it, but I know what happened in this transaction, but I know what he didn't call me to do, sing. He didn't call me to sing, and I've had many people tell me they realized I was not called to sing. That's, I know that's right. He didn't call me to look good. He didn't call me. He called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm concerned with? Tomorrow morning I'll get up about sunrise. You know what I'm concerned with when I open the books? Give me the gospel to preach to the people. You tell me, I'll tell them. Lord, tell me what it says. Lay the book on the chair, pray over it, read it, read it, read it again, read it ten times, read the passage you're studying, and then you start opening other books and you start cross-studying the Word of God. He gave them several talents, some five, some two, some one. And you know what the pastor finds out? The people with two want five. The people with five want to use different ones. The people with ones feel slighted, and it goes on and on and on. Paul came and opened that up for us and said this. Some of you are an eyeball. Some of you are a hand and some are a foot. What if the foot says, I don't want to be a foot, I want to be a hand? You're stuck. You're picking up stuff with your toe, but you're stuck. Because the foot carries you to the job site. Your hand does the work. Your eye sees what needs to be done. He said, I made seers. I gave people vision in my family to see so they can warn. So the hands can get busy and the feet can take you over there. But if you don't want to be what you're made to be, you stymie the whole process. And that's what the church is. That's the church today. I never felt bad. I couldn't sing. I never did. But every Sunday, every Sunday, I regret I didn't preach better. 
I can't tell you the way I hear it. And thank you for your commentary. You're not the Holy Spirit, and I get that. And everybody's told me everything. But I, I feel bad that I can't give it to you the way I get it. I can't be as effective as the Holy Spirit. But I know this. He gave to every man according to his ability. Now, God created you knowing who you are. And then gifted you according to who you are. And said, now use the gifts with who you are, the family you were brought into. You don't like your mother? Take it up with God. He put you there for a reason. You're supposed to learn something from her. Was she terrible? Don't be terrible. Was she great? Emulate her. Did she have some flaws? Notice that and try to work on your own. So many people tell me I, their home life wasn't good. There are some terrible home lives. And God will deal with them when he sees them. But here's our job. Forgive and move on. Forgive and move on. My dad has some weaknesses I don't have. But he had a lot more strength than I don't have as well. But I want to say this to you. I'm not him. I'm not him. Grateful, taught by him, shown by him. I'm grateful for those things. Trying to not relive the flaws, but emulate the strengths. But mostly it's not about my past and where I come from. It's about where I'm going. So I have a new father now. I have a different example of fatherhood now. I have a whole different purpose and goal and intention. Now I'm stuck with this DNA. I'm stuck with this body and I'm stuck with a lot of things. But you know what? It must be what the Lord intended because this is what he gave me. This is where he put me. Is this making any sense at all? Folks, I want to tell you something. We were created for a purpose, every one of us. We were given the strengths and abilities through what the Bible calls the spiritual gifts from Christ. We looked in the last hour at Colossians saying this, don't be deceived by the philosophies of the world. Learn, learn the truths of Christ. Learn scriptural, doctrinal truths from the Word of God. That tells you who you really are. If I believe that people along the way, I'm just telling you, I know this about you. If I believe people along the way told me things about myself, I wouldn't have dared come up here and say a word. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ventured out that far. If I believe what people, and people who should know, teachers and people in, the, in different areas, that told me things about me, that God was telling me the opposite, and I had to choose. Now here's one thing I want to tell you. When there's a choice between what people are saying and God's saying, choose God. Believe God. Believe God is always the right answer. And so these people did. The one that got five produced five more. The one that got two produced two more. And the one that got one buried it because he was afraid. He didn't do anything with his talent. He didn't do anything with his gift. And the Lord said, you're my servant and it's my goods and what are you doing with my stuff? The church is silent today about this and it's deaf to it. The church is silent on it and deaf to it. I thank God every day for Tony Evans. Amen. Hmm. 
Well, Tony Evans telling them, you're born into a kingdom. You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You have a kingdom life to live. And that's why the Lord said the kingdom of heaven is like. Every time he turned around, he said, you know what your home's like? You act like you don't have a home. You act like a homeless, and you're my child, and you're a child of the kingdom. And the first thing he said, we repent, the kingdom's here. Turn around now. You know what he said by, by repent? You know what that was? He said this. Wipe out all the lies you've heard about you and you've built up in your own self and just know this. The kingdom is here. You're a child of the king. You can be a child of the king. Repent. Turn around. All that life you were building and, that, and that all your plans and purposes and all your stuff. New agenda. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. been opposed to people telling their kids you can be a brain surgeon that kid can't cut a savage great brain surgeon and I understand building your kids up don't lie to them here's the answer it's not that what you could be it's find out who you are who did Christ make you who are you and we're going to look at that. I'm going to close. And I promise we're going to get past this. But I want to say this to you. The one that didn't use his talent at all. And the Lord said two things to him. You're a wicked, lazy servant. Wicked and lazy. And he said this. If you were afraid of me and didn't want to put it out there where you might lose it. And can I tell you a secret? You can't lose it. You can waste it, but you can't lose it. He said this, you should have at least put it in the bank and let me draw interest on it while I was gone. What's that saying? If you're not going to use it, give it to somebody else. If you're not going to use your gift, give the resources to someone else. And you know what God does when you give things away? He keeps replenishing them. Now, this is also scary. He says, take the one that he had and give it to the one who had five and produce five. Now there's ten. And he said, give that one to him. He knows what to do with it. And they said to him, and the people said, read it in your Bibles. It's a parenthetical thing. The people said, he's already got it. He's already got his. And the Lord said this, one of my favorite ideas from the Bible he says, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him which hath ten. And to everyone that hath shall be given. And he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall that be taken, even that he hath. And cast out the unprofitable servant to outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is not, folks, hell. That's not hell. There are two places where the Lord said that it means hell. There are more than two places where he said it, and it means this. There's going to be a remorse at the meeting with Christ, weeping and gnashing of teeth when the people say, you gave me a life, you gave me a purpose, you gave me the tools, you gave me the strength, you gave me all those things that I simply didn't use them for you when we meet the Christ. And 
rewards are gone. And, it's, and folks, it's not even, I, I believe this now, it's not even so much about the loss of rewards is they didn't get in. They didn't come. I didn't do my job. They didn't come in. Like it however you want to. The water is rising. I can open the gate from the outside, but they all have to drown because I wouldn't let them out. I didn't want to do that. I want to do something else. Well, you think that's harsh? I hear how harsh it is. It's the greatest message of love in the world. At birth, I gave you a gift. If you use that gift, you'll be the happiest person. You'll be so fulfilled, so satisfied. If you don't, your job is going to kill you. You will get old doing your job. Now listen, here's, here are the five questions. No matter where you go in the world, no matter what you study about philosophy or life or questions or humanity or mankind, here's what you'll get. Five questions that people want answered. Number one, who am I? Across the board, who am I? People want to know who they are. Number two, where am I from? Number three, why am I here? Number four, what can I do? And number five is where am I going? Here are the five questions of mankind studied by, I think you can't refute them. It's everything you look at in your life, everything you look up, you'll find this feature. The five questions of the human heart are this, identity, source, purpose, potential, and destiny. And source and destiny cry out for purpose in such a strong way that source and destiny are the two greatest of all the questions. Now you remember we studied Genesis some years ago. And we find this to be true from Scripture. God made everything produce after its kind. We're the human kind. We're not kind human, but we're the human kind. So get that down. So we're the human kind. There's the animal kind. There's the fish kind. There's different things. And Paul talks about it in the 15th of 1 Corinthians as well. But here's what we find. Very simple. And I boil it down for you. I'll study this stuff for 25 days and give you one sentence if I can. Here's what I found out. Anything torn from its source will die. Do you believe that? Rip a baby from its mother's womb, what's it going to do? I mean, rip it out. Take a fish out of water and throw it on the bank. Hey, there's more land than water. This is just a pond. There's all kinds of land here. You'd be happier up there. Tomorrow you see that dried up thing and it's not very happy or alive. You pull a plant out of the ground and set it on the sidewalk. I always wanted a plant there. You pull it from the source, I'll get it to you. It'll look sickly soon and before long be dead. God said, he's our source. Does that not make perfect sense? Anything taken from its source will die. Let us make man in our image. And he created man. Eve, heard, uh, Eve and Adam were told how it was going to be. Satan heard the conversation and said this, I'm going to rip them from their source. And they die. The day you eat that fruit, you shall surely die. And they ate the fruit and guess what? 
spiritually dying. And the Lord had to come back and heal that. Who am I? Where am I from? Why am I here? What can I do? And where am I going? And the Bible answers every one of those questions in detail, repeatedly. Let me tell you something about a job. Here's the difference in job and work from the Bible perspective. A job is what they pay you to do. Your work is what you were born to do. Your job gives you finances. Your work gives you fulfillment. Your job is your skill. Anybody gets good at something after they do it daily for 30 years. I hope so. Your job is your skill and your work is your gift. Here's your work. It's what you're born to do. It's what gives you fulfillment. And it's your gift. Lived out. Lived out. Now, knowing that to be true, or if you believe that to be true, is it any wonder that people are so disgruntled and so discouraged? Paul was a tent maker. We hear that twice in the Bible, that Paul made tents with his hands. Paul made tents. You think they were good tents? I bet you Paul made a tent. You want to know why? Because he's the one who said, what your hand finds to do, do it mightily. Your name's on that. Someone come by and say, man, that preaching service was in town for two weeks. Where'd you get the new house? <laughs> During the day, the preacher made it for me. That Tarsus guy is a pretty good tip maker. But here's what I want to tell you. You never find a verse in the Bible, a sentence, or one complaint about Paul saying, my tent making's not going well. My co-tent makers are mean to me. He doesn't talk about his job. But he's always asking the Lord how to improve his work. He never complains or gives reference to the Lord about his job. Doesn't matter. All he said to so we would know and so they would know is this. I work with my hands to provide for me and my entourage here. I'm feeding them. You're not. I'm asking you nothing. I'm here to give you something, not take something from you. I'm here to give you something, not take something from you. We don't like your message. He says, take that up with the Lord. I'm here to give you something, not take something. He never complains to the Lord about his job. I've read it several times. I can't find it. But consistently, Paul is saying, how do I better my work? What can I do to better my work? How can I do it more like my Lord did? How can I have his attitude better? How can I present him in a way that's understandable? You never hear how they treat him. You never hear how, what kind of tense he made or what they thought about his tense. But you know when he preached, they beat him. They cut him up. They tried to drown him. And you know what he said? As soon as this heals up, I'm going back and finishing my sermon. They didn't get to hear about all the goodness of the Lord. Can I tell you this world's tough? I know it. I know it. I know it. This world's tough. We don't have it as tough as most people on the planet, but it's a tough world. 
People don't like goodness in other people. They just, it's hard to get a cheerleading squad if you do the right thing. It's just hard to work up a cheerleading squad. I started in the ministry, and an old preacher came in and heard me preach, and he said this to me. I, I was ready to go. He sat in the back, waiting everybody to leave, had a big old shock of white hair, had his arms stretched out, and I sat beside him, and he said, Boy, you're going to learn to preach one of these days now. That's why he told me. I thought he was going to give me a compliment. And maybe he did. But he said, one of these days, you're going to be a preacher. I see it in you. And I thought, okay. It was tough. But he said this, the more you preach Christ, the less you'll be liked by the majority. Hmm. And boy, it is not true. But i got to tell you this. The Lord prepared me for this life in my home as a child. You tell me this about 12 kids. What day is your day? When's it all about you? If they happen to make the Kool-Aid you like or the Jello comes out the way you like it, that just happened. We like red with too much sugar. John 17 and 4, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work thou gave me to do. John 4 and 34, Jesus said to them, my need is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. Never did Christ say, I came to do a job. He said to the fishermen, come, I'll make you fishers. Man. I'm going to take your job away from you. Well, two of them were working for their father. Sorry, Dad. The family business is going down. There's much more important stuff to do than catch fish. And he had other workers there. They left. That's a big, by the way, I'm saying that. They immediately, the Bible says, and dropped everything and followed him. The distraction of the good things over the right things. It's good to get a job. It's good to have money. It's good to have insurance. It makes the bills. It buys food and houses and cars and gasoline and medicines. That's what a job does. And so we are distracted oftentimes by the good things over the right things. That's why so many people get a job and never find your work. Here's what Proverbs 19 and 21 says. Proverbs 19 21 says, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. How that read in the NIV? It reads this way, basically, as I recall. I don't have it before me, but it says this. There are many plans in a man's heart, but the purpose of the Lord, that shall prevail. Isn't that right? I mean, all my plans, and my book was written, now remember, 139th Psalm, my book was written before I was born. It's got some, it's got some ugly chapters in it. It's got some ugly pages. It's got some run-on sentences. It's got some bad grammar. My book was written before I was born. The last period after the end was put there before I was conceived in my mother's womb. That's what the Bible says, 139th Psalm. My days were told in the book before I was conceived, David said. Here's what I, here's what I think is wonderful. Lord, Lord wrote that book. He loved me anyway. He wrote my book. He told my story. He knew the end from the beginning. That's called predestination. Finishing me before he began me. I was finished. And he loves me anyway. 
And along the way, he said, Don, do this. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. He said, I want you to do that, Don. And I said, no. No, my flesh wants something else. Lord, what you're asking me to do is not much fun, and I know how to live this life in such a way that I'm happy. And he said, don't do that, Don. Don't do that. You're going to hurt you and her and everybody involved if you do that. I said, well, that's what I want to do. She wants to do it. I want to do it. Let's do it. Well, I said, you can, you can do it. You know what I didn't know when I did it? He was there. He was there watching. All the time that I told the Lord no and did it my way, he was silent in the corner saying, that's not going to turn out too good. Should I hate him? Should I hate him for that? You know what he told me before I did it? Not going to work. Going to have some bad consequences. Going to take a lot of work and they'll never completely heal. But I want to, Lord. Let's finish up and send you home. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. His purposes supersede all of our plans. Get it? His purposes supersede all of our plans. In Matthew 11 and 28, because of what I've been teaching you, listen now to this one more time. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what it says. I look up the words. Take my yoke and my coupling. Take my coupling upon you. And learn. Understand me. Understand me. When the Lord said, put down your nets, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He said, I want you to understand something. Today you retired from your job. I'm going to retire you at 21 years old. I'm going to retire you from that job. Because i got some work for you to do. Will you do it? Will you? And he spent three and a half years teaching those young men what it means to quit a job and be faithful in the work. First Thessalonians 5 and 24, one of my favorite verses, says, faithful is he that calleth you, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it, that's when it all comes together for the Christian. I have a work, but guess what? It's already done. I just have to go through life saying, yeah, my father did that. Yep, it's done. Yep, he's good. Yes, you need him. Yes, he's the answer. I don't care what the question. My whole job in life is just that it is. Point to the father. Illuminate Jesus. The work has already been done. He said, I want to call you to something. And here's how you do your job the best. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Again, when I was a boy, we were in the pickup truck together a lot. And that's five boys and dad. That's a bunch of big people in a truck cab. I was a little one sat right next to my dad. My head was in his armpit. My leg was part of his. And we come to a stop sign. We come to a road, an intersection. And my dad's arm was longer than your dad's arm. 
It was one of the main arm I've ever seen, and it would go across there like an arm at the toll booth, and there and five heads would hit the back glass, and he'd say, "I'll do the looking," because everybody leaves like that when they come to a stop sign. And Dad, if, here's the weird thing about my dad: he didn't trust us to say it's okay. <laughs> well, that's semi, yeah, but the dog was over there. But Dad would say, "Am I right, Chuck?" Dad would take our heads and bounce them off the back glass and say, I'll do the looking. And he would lean over and look. And then he'd race a snail out to the highway. <laughs> Are you going to pull my bone? Anyway, so it was. But you know what? Had the job lined out. Here's what I heard him tell another farmer. I don't know how good a dad I am. He said, I don't know. He said, his cancer's eating me up, I'll never know. But if I showed my boys and taught them that work is good and fun, and to do the job well, give you the self-fulfillment, I've done what I want to do. If I can tell them your job should be fun. If you get to go to work, if you get to do the thing you need to do, if you get to, if that's your mindset in the morning, I get to go today and do something. He said, I've done my job. Can I tell you something? I think he did a pretty good job with that. We're done. If you would in your home studies read and contrast the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, I think you'll be amazed. The book of Proverbs is a proper use of our time and talents and treasures, basically. The book of Proverbs, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, in that book he put together a bunch of Proverbs that teach us how to properly use our time and talents and treasures. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as a life without Christ and the labor of a life, the empty labor of a life not lived for Christ. And so again, I say this when we go home. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Mark 1.18, And straightway they forsook their nests and followed him. They left their job to do the work. Yes, you have to earn a living. Here's the blessed of all. The people whose job is their gift. That's a blessed person. You can be that. Your job can be your gift. I'm not saying you have to have them opposed to each other. But we should teach our children. My greatest concern for my grandchildren now is that they learn and decide to find their gift. Then they'll be doing what they're made to do. And they'll be content, happy people. And every man needs a content, happy wife. That's just the way it is. Every man needs that. And every woman needs a content husband. That's our great need. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us and keeping us. Help us to understand. Our need is to understand. Help us, Lord. We pray now. Go with us. Be with us. Thank you for your love. Now, in Jesus' name, amen.